0: Let's start now in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 1 and I want to give you an introduction to it uh, before we go into the chapter which gives us an idea uh, of, um, of, of the book of Acts as a whole and uh, and helps us understand it a bit better. So let's pray as you're turning there. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father we thank you Lord for this time that you've given to us to study your word. I pray Father that you would give us understanding we know that your word tells us that your spirit gives us <clears throat> understanding, and uh, and I pray, Lord, that as you give us understanding of your word, that you would give us wisdom. That is uh, just a knowledge of how to apply that which we've come to know. Lord, really, that's uh, that's where we we uh, start to realize an abundant life in you. That we find great joy. That no matter what we're going through, we're not shaken. Uh, we may be hard pressed, but we're we're never crushed, and um, and so I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom through the study of of this book, Lord. It is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, and it, it connects um, the the Acts of the early Church um, with even us today, Lord. In in a way, uh, we know that Acts has twenty eight chapters, but. In a way, Acts 29 is being written even today with the church. And so, Father, I just uh, commit, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so the book of Acts was uh, written by a physician. His name was Luke. We know that he was a Gentile by his his name and He wrote to a man named Theophilus. And like I said even in the prayer that this is considered like the sequel um, to the Gospel of Luke. It's a continuation of that. And both are written to the same man. The Gospel of Luke gives the account of Jesus' life up to the point that he ascends into heaven. And the book of Acts is the birth of the church and the spread of the gospel by the Holy Spirit through men who were given completely to be used by God. Spreading the gospel throughout the whole region, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and on into Rome. And from Rome, it's amazing how it is that, uh, you know, you know, the saying all roads lead to Rome. You know, they did build roads that went all over the place. So from Rome, you could impact the world. And that's exactly what happened. And the gospel came to Rome in Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and uh, 20, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this was <clears throat> this first chapter, especially as we go into it, uh, we see how it is that they prepared for um, this work and um, that they, they were obedient to doing this very thing this commandment that the Lord gave to the apostles before he ascended. In Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53, it says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, I, I have in my mind the picture how everything's arranged and uh, them being in Bethany at the time and then going from Bethany to the Mount of Olives. And across from the Mount of Olives, you, you can see the temple. You can see the eastern wall of old Jerusalem there and you see the Kidron Valley. So you go down the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem. And, and, and I, I see this because this is exactly where they were when Uh, Our Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. And so that is where Luke um, finished or, or concluded the gospel. And how it was that they worshiped the Lord and they lifted up their hands and blessed him as he had blessed them by being obedient to what he had commanded them to do. They worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, if the book of Acts did not exist, there would be many questions that would remain unanswered. Um, who's, who's Paul? How did he come about? You know, if we didn't have the book of Acts, we wouldn't know uh, that uh, we'd have to do a lot more research and, and, you know, to come to find out who it was that, that the apostle Paul was. How did the gospel get to Rome? How did the church start? Who were the main people used by the Lord in the birth of the church? And so many other questions. <clears throat> So, we know, as we've already said, that the author of the book of Acts is the physician Luke. Now, we don't know much about him um, other than that he was a Gentile, a physician, and he was Paul's loyal companion. And um, so, that's what we do know about him. In Acts chapter 16, verse 10, we know that he was with him because of the first person plural that appears in this verse. He says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, uh, the apostle Paul writes, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. In Colossians chapter four, verse fourteen, it says, "Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas," and so we know that the that uh, Luke was a loyal companion of the Apostle Paul. He joined him in uh, his missionary uh, trips, and so uh, we know that he would he was writing from firsthand knowledge. Uh, also, I'm sure asking questions. He was a physician, so there were many details that that he jotted down, and so we have the benefit of that, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit write through him. Uh, the recipient of the book of Acts is Theophilus. You know, if you think of the word and break it down, um, you see uh, very clearly that his his uh, name means lover of God. Theo, God. Uh, phileo is love. We know that there are Several forms of love, you know, for us in the English language, we have one word for everything. We, we love our wives and we love our dogs. Hopefully you don't love your wives as you do your dogs and your dogs as you do your wives. You know, so, <clears throat> you know, but we, we kind of have a, that word. We use it for everybody and everything, right? Yeah, but there is a a difference. Um, there's phileo, there's agape. Um, what other ones are are there? Storge, yeah. And which one? Yeah, phileo. Yeah, so there's there's different, and, and they, they have a specific meaning. <clears throat> so for Theophilus, his word brought together means lover of God. It's interesting because uh, some have the opinion that perhaps it wasn't, uh, this wasn't written to one man, but those who are lovers of God. For, so it's it's written for the church. It's written for the believers. Um, but we, uh, we don't have evidence of that being true. Uh, there was a man named Theophilus, and we take it for what it says. So there was a man named Theophilus. That's who it was written to and for. Uh, we know from the <clears throat> introductions that both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were written to this man it seems from the introduction written in in the gospel of luke that theophilus had heard and believed in jesus that he was the son of god and yet had a friend who wanted to give him a detailed breakdown of what he had been taught to give him a greater understanding in luke chapter 1 And so it's to give him a greater understanding, to reinforce that which he's already come to believe in, that which he already knows. Luke wanted to communicate to the world and to Theophilus that Christianity was harmless, innocent, and lawful. The movement was not hostile, in other words. It did not desire the conquering of empires in order to rule by force, and it never encouraged an insurrection against the local rule of law. Never did Jesus call on that at all. And so the book of Acts is a continuation of all that Jesus did and continues to do to our present day. And it is the birth and establishment of the church and spans a period of about 30 years. And uh, so it takes us up to about 80, 60, or 61, somewhere around there. And leaves us at a point when Paul is imprisoned in Rome waiting to appear before Caesar uh, Nero. And so that's, that's where we conclude with the book of Acts. I can't say that there's one theme to the book of Acts. I know that sometimes, um, you know, we're, we're tasked with that. Well, what's the theme of the book of Ask, Acts? Well, uh, I can't say that there's one theme. I know that, uh, you know, normally in our Bibles, we read this is the Acts of the Apostles. Um, others say that name, should, that title should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, um, well, it's, it's all of the above. It's the birth of the church. It's the acts of those who have come to surrender their life to Jesus Christ and how it was that God brought the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the world, and so that continues even today. So if anything, it would be the theme of, of the, the, the birth of the church and and the acts of the church as we still see them even today even today. And so we, need to, we can learn a lot through what we're going to study over the course of uh, this year and the 28 chapters that we'll study in the book of Acts. Now, it's important to read, study, and understand how the church was established and how the Holy Spirit works within it. Uh, I want to draw your attention to that. I'm going to draw your attention um, uh, regularly, like consistently, to that very thing. Uh, because really that's where the power is within the church. If we understand how the church was established and how the Holy Spirit works within it even today. And how Christians are to follow the active ministry of the Holy Spirit in the discipleship of the saints and the furtherance of the gospel. In other words, doing the work of an evangelist. And so if you do it in your own power, at some point you're going to arrive at this one thing we call burned out. You're, you're going to get burned out. It's just too much. But if you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, if if you do it relying on the strength of God, um, then there's no burnout. There's you'll get tired. That's not burnout. You know. Uh, sometimes you'll um, you, you'll you'll wonder you'll. Uh, you know seek direction that 's not burnout that 's not all that is is it means you need to draw closer to the Lord and ask him to give you some direction to renew your spirit to refresh you to give you a, just a, a, a new vision a new perspective to remind you of how faithful he 's been all this time that 's what that means you know um, yesterday uh, i 'm going through i 'm going through a class. And uh, it's a scuba diving class, because I don't know how to scuba dive. And no, I'm, I'm joking. It's Michelle's husband, Chris. he's wonderful. He's a dive master and he's an instructor for, for scuba. I have I've, my certification is all through the military, uh, civilian life. They don't acknowledge that, so I can't fill any tanks. I can't uh, go diving uh, legally <laughs> unless I get my certification. So I'm going through it. But it's, it was funny because yesterday morning, we, it was the, 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 the uh, portion of the uh, class to where I have to go into the pool. And so everything came back, you know, putting together the, the, all the gear, putting it on. I, we go into the shallow end. It's only a few feet deep. I think it's five feet deep. Um, and I put the mask on. Now, as soon as I put the, regular, the regulator in my mouth and I went under the water – I could feel, I, my body and my brain was telling me, you're not supposed to be breathing underwater, right? And I'm like, but I've done this like so so many other times. And, and, and I felt anxiety. I was filled with anxiety. So I was, I was there. I was like, I was breathing. But man, I, and then I look over towards the deep end and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go over there. And, uh, but it was funny because at that point, I remembered that not only can it be done, but it has been done. And I've done it over and over and over and over again. What I'm saying with that is, as we go into the study of the book of Acts, there are many things that you'll see here that you'll say, how in the world could that happen? You know, well, for the apostles and for the disciples, they may at some point get into a situation where they feel anxiety, a little stress, like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. And then they can look back and remember how faithful God has been throughout the other times that they've been met with difficult circumstances and help them get through that. Because I can tell you that it was at a moment where we came up out of the surface and Chris asked me, are you okay? I'm like, I, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> and he says, what? wait. What do you mean you're not okay? I'm like, ah, just uh, getting used to breathing underwater again. That's it. And and he says, okay, let's go to the deep end. Like, all right. Just like the other instructors, just let's go for it. So we did. As soon as I started moving and going into the deep end, like I started calming down. And I realized, okay, everything was good. So my mask started filling up with water. I'm like, okay, I got to clear this. And um, so it's just moving, moving, just going, not allowing that to paralyze you. And and so that's why the book of Acts, that's why studying the word of God and then uh, remembering what God has brought you through will give you greater confidence for those things that you're facing, you're faced with today. You're faced with today. That happens so much. So with that, let's take a look at chapter one of the book of Acts. We're going to look at three things, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the proof of the Holy Spirit. That's what I clearly see here in this chapter. Uh, So let's start out by by reading uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. If you would hold your place there and go with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> Luke chapter 24 in <clears throat> verse 44. All right, so we read here. And <clears throat> Then he said to them, Jesus speaking to uh, his uh, disciples, These are my words that I have spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Uh, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple, blessing God. So we know from from this that Jesus explicitly told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they were empowered by the Holy Spirit who was promised to them. So go to Jerusalem. Stay. You wait until the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. You wait there. He had told them in Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that God had commanded. And both in Luke 24 uh, and in Acts chapter 1, he told. it's written that he had told the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit, who was the gift. What we can't miss here is the promise. There's a promise. Um, you know, one of the, I had a conversation with someone before service and, and uh, you know, it's always amazing to me just how confident someone can be and at peace. Somebody can be who completely trusts in the Lord. And we don't live on anything but his promises in faith. And uh, we can go through, through different trials and situations and be completely at peace. Uh, why? Because we're just relying and trusting in the promises of God. That he is true. So this is something that we can't miss here. The promise of the Holy Spirit. But also the importance of who is promised in order to do something that Jesus had commanded his people to do. And, 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 and commands them to do even today. Jesus, you see, was our example of how to wait on the Holy Spirit Jesus started his ministry the day the Holy Spirit descended and came upon him, the day he was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. You know, before then, it wasn't his time. And it was at that point when the Holy Spirit came upon him that his ministry started. So he's our example. We wait for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit as we should also be led by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 2, it says, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Underline through the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave these commands to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. So who should be our example? Who should we look to to rely on, trust in, and, and, and allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit? Jesus, right? And he did that very thing. There's a work the Holy Spirit does in the life of the unbeliever to convict them of their sin and to lead them to salvation. He does that. You know, when I, uh, you know, before I came to the Lord, I remember that as I heard more of who God is, I heard more of the gospel and how much he loves me. I was, I was uh, not that anyone had to tell me because no one was telling me, you know, write down all the things that you love to do. And then I'll tell you which ones are sins or not. Have you ever had someone do that? I've never had someone do that. you know. And I didn't have them do that to me either. It was just as I drew near to God. Remember, holy and righteous God, right? What he was doing is revealing to me some of those things were, that were not of him. And it brought conviction. I knew some of the things that I was participating in weren't right. Why? Because I started to get to know God. And I started to see that I I had fallen short. There was no way I could do enough to gain entrance into heaven. In fact, I realized the moment it said that, um, you know, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, it's not by works that we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works. And so the Holy Spirit brought that conviction upon my own life. And that's one of the works that he has in our lives to convict us. Even as believers, we are convicted by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's at that moment that we have the opportunity to confess those those sins to the Lord. In other words, agree with him and ask him to forgive us. So he does that work. There's a work of salvation and there is a significant work of the Holy Spirit that he does in the lives of those who believe and follow Christ. Jesus, during the 40 days after his resurrection, when he presented himself to his apostles and disciples, gave instructions and spoke about the kingdom of God. It was all in reliance. All of that was all in reliance of, in the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit's leading. 1 Corinthians fifteen six, says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So even the letter to the Corinthians, some 25 years later, there were still those who, whom Jesus had appeared to during those 40 days after he had ascended. If anyone could uh, argue, if anyone could say, No, that's not true, it would be them. But nobody could. It was all true. And so this is the work of the Holy Spirit, which is wonderful. He's present with us today. He's present with us here. He's present with you. And all who are His are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And He desires to come upon you that you may be empowered for the work of the ministry. He desires that of each and every one of us. If Jesus was in need and relied on the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need to trust in and rely on the Holy Spirit ourselves? Well, this was the promise of Jesus to his, his disciples. And it wasn't meant to be something Jesus hoped they would take seriously. But they, that they would know and believe and trust that the promise was coming. But they had to wait on him. It was worth the wait. Wait on him. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem and not go anywhere until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Matthew chapter 24 verse 35 speaking of promises says this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It's a promise. It's a promise. God's promises are good, and he's faithful. So number one, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so we see the power of the Holy Spirit here. notice here how both Jesus and the two men in the white robes, who I believe to be angels, redirected both their curiosity and their amazement and pointed them to Scripture. Jesus did that with these disciples that were with him. To Scripture. I'm going to redirect you to Scripture. You asked me a question, but... I'm going to answer in this way. Uh, the the two men in the white robes redirected them to scripture. Jesus told them that what they were concerned about was was the wrong thing to be concerned about. It's not for you to know. You okay with that? You know, sometimes we demand to like, I want to know, I want to know, so that way I'm at peace. No, no, no. You need to be at peace with what God has already said, and and, and then in the midst of it, you may not know. You may not know. You know. This side of heaven, you may not know. In heaven, God may say, "Well, you didn't need to know that. You don't know that now, and you will never know that." Are you okay with that? Sometimes we feel so entitled. We do. I want to know, so I can, so I can believe. No, you know enough to believe. Just believe. Right? We just talked about God's promises, and so Jesus told him, "You were concerned about the wrong. You're concerned about the wrong thing." And now, it's a good thing to be concerned. Not that it's a bad thing, but it wasn't the right thing. It's a good thing to be concerned about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel since it was under Roman rule. Of course, that, that'd be something that you desire. I, I sure would love, you know, Israel to, you know, come under, you know, our own rule, the rule of God, you know, in our lives. You know, who wouldn't want that? But Jesus was telling him that's the wrong thing to be concerned about. The, the the time of restoration, oh, that's not for you to be concerned about. <clears throat> in fact, we learned about what Jesus taught about being anxious, about being worried. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, <clears throat> and we, you can turn there if you'd like. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says, um, Therefore I tell you, <clears throat> do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, but you... But uh, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more of, of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And these were the words of Jesus. He was teaching. Uh, these were, This was part of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he, he was telling them, hey, listen, you don't need to be anxious about these things. There are certain things that we would be better off just not being wrapped up in. Not being overwhelmed with. And so Jesus was telling him, don't worry about that. It's not for you to be concerned with. We just simply trust that he's in control and do everything we can to walk according to the spirit. And live our lives in a way that brings glory to God. And when the apostles were gathered together in Bethany at the ascension of Jesus, they were amazed. Here was something else. Number one, the other thing was something that they were anxious about, that they were worried about, concerned about. And then now they're like, wow, right? This is where they they were in awe. They, They were just like overwhelmed with what was what was happening at that very moment. Now, I don't know who wouldn't be amazed, though. But they were truly fixed on the clouds when these two men appeared to them. I, I love this. You know, God is very direct, very frank with us. He's very straightforward. Now, I don't know, I, I may have gone up next to him if I was part of these, this, this group of two. You know, like, what are you looking at? You know, just kind of tease them a little bit. But these two men brought their attention back to what they should be fixed on. He appeared to them and reminded them that Jesus will come again the same way he left. Jesus told them that. He's going to come back the same way he ascended. He's going to come back. For, but for now, go do what he told you to do. Go do it. Run along. Go. He's not coming back right now. Just go. Why are your eyes in the clouds? He's not here. Expect him. But are your eyes on the clouds or, or are you about your father's business, Go on, run along. Do what he told you to do. Because in the middle of of these two instances of correction and realignment for the apostles, we have what is important and what should be focused on. For them, this is where where they were being brought to. Verse eight, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's what they were brought back to. Focus on that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Just focus on that. We know that they will receive the Holy Spirit and he will come upon them. For the believer, we know that the Holy Spirit comes alongside as our helper. Indwells us, being filled and sealed and kept uh, to the day of redemption. And we see here how the Holy Spirit comes upon the work of the Holy Spirit coming upon the believer has a purpose, and we see it here. To be Jesus' witnesses everywhere, local and afar. Whether it's in our own Jerusalem, or it's to the ends of the earth. Or perhaps in Samaria, Judea. And that's all that speaks of. Jerusalem was, was, you could say, the city. Judea was like, you could say, the county. Samaria was to distant cities, you know. And then you have to the ends of the earth, just go. Whether it be Haiti. Thailand, Mexico, wherever wherever the Lord sends you, everywhere. So that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon the believer. It is to empower them uh, to do that very work, to be his witnesses wherever we go. This power that is referred to is, is a dunamis power. It's like, um, you know, the power. We know dynamite comes from that word, and it's very powerful. It, it, can, it can destroy, but it can do very effective work, uh, good work. And so, of course, in this case, it's this dunamis power that we are empowered with to go be witnesses of Jesus Christ. So it, it's, it goes beyond what we think we have the capabilities of doing. I can tell you that throughout the years of ministry that I've given myself to, that I am, I am definitely um, one that can testify of this very thing. I've gone beyond what I ever thought I, I could ever do personally in my own strength. In, in fact, many of the things are, are not things that I would have ever dreamed of doing. Um, far from that. But being empowered by the Holy Spirit has given me direction. And it's his will be done, not mine. And so may it come at my sacrifice in whatever it is that he needs to do through me and, and in me. Uh, and especially in my weaknesses. So... It was for the purpose of glorifying the Lord and for spreading the gospel, not for their own personal benefit or for gaining power, prestige, or profit, but for the spreading of the gospel, to be witnesses, to evangelize and disciple, to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's why we're empowered with the Holy Spirit. If you desire to be a witness of Jesus Christ and be used by him to further the kingdom and seek his righteousness, then you must be filled with the Holy Spirit and ask for the empowering That comes by the Holy Spirit to be used in such a way as he sees fit. And we know that it's God's desire. And therefore, I pray it's our desire. And we request this as it is in line with God's desire, his very own heart. We know for the disciples that this indeed happened. For they were witnesses in Jerusalem according to Acts chapter 1 through 7. In Judea and Samaria, Acts chapter 8. Uh, through 12 and beyond, Acts chapter 13 to 28 and beyond. So we know that this came about in the life of the apostles and the, the disciples as there is evidence of it in the book of Acts and the other letters that we have in the New Testament. So the promise of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and finally the proof of the Holy Spirit, we see this in the final portion of this chapter. Then they return to Jerusalem, verse 12, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, A Sabbath day's journey away, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and and said... Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, Keldama. With that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen, to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, <clears throat> and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the, 12, with the eleven apostles. So we have the proof, proof of the Holy Spirit right here. Immediately, this is what we see happening. So they were obedient. And they returned to Jerusalem from Bethany, across the Mount of Olives, down and across the Kidron Valley, and up into Jerusalem. Where the apostles and the other disciples gathered in the upper room, and they waited. So we need to see, how did they wait? They prayed. Agreeing on waiting in obedience to Jesus' command and praying. And this is what they devoted themselves to. We can't, never, we can't ever pray enough. You know, we have times of prayer that we come together corporately as a church. And I would encourage you to, to participate in that as much as you can. But we as, as individuals can never pray enough. As couples, we can't pray enough. As families, we can't pray enough. We are to be given to prayer, to wait on the Lord. And seek his direction. What do you want Lord? And we are to desire that above all else. He is the answer to everything. But I wonder what they prayed. Uh, We're not given what they prayed. We don't know what they prayed. We just know that they were devoted to praying. I'm thinking they were looking forward to the coming promise. And thanking God for he came. Because they were praying in faith. Before he came. Before he came. They were already thanking him because they were praying in faith. I believe they also prayed about what God wanted them to do. Why? Because we see evidence of this in Peter right away. It's like we don't know Peter as being someone who could just sit around, do we? We He was a fisherman. We know him to be a a, a rough man. And so I I don't see Peter just sitting around. So he, he was praying but he was asking the Lord, what more? What, 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 what is it that you have for us? And so this led Peter to stand up and address the brothers and sisters in Christ. About 120 who were gathered there in the upper room. And he addressed all the brothers and sisters in Christ, acknowledging the betrayal of Judas was prophesied about and gaining an understanding of what needed to take place next. We can't miss this. Peter, by... The understanding that the Holy Spirit gave him realized that what happened with Judas was in line with what had already been prophesied by King David. It was all there. It was all there. And then he brought up other scripture. And this is what we ought to do. This is how it should be in life. When we're waiting on the Lord, we are waiting on the Lord praying with an open Bible. We we're asking God for some direction. Give me an answer to what's going on. How is it? What is it that you require of me in this time, this very moment? It's because I want to do it to bring you blessing. I want to glorify you. And so, Peter, it's like, you just, just imagine the, the, the light went off, right? The light went off. Or on. And he realized. Yeah, hopefully not off, right? Luke chapter 24, verses 44 and 45 says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That is wonderful. Everything. Moses and the law. The Psalms, the prophets, had to be fulfilled. So Peter's wheels were turning. He was thinking about all this. It's interesting to read and know this and then see how Peter spoke regarding his confidence in the interpretation of their present circumstances. Considering what the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas is what he said. This is what spoken and he spoke with confidence. Peter not only understood, but he was explaining and taking action according to the Scripture and his understanding gained by the work of the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus had relied on the Holy Spirit, so Peter was learning how to rely on the Holy Spirit to give him wisdom, discernment, interpretation, and the proper application of Scripture. It's the same way with us today. It's the same way. We're no different than Peter, James, John, Paul, or anyone else, we have the same Holy Spirit. God desires the same thing with us. That that when we're in the situation that we're in, season of life, whatever it is, that we go to him and we see everything is answered there in, in Scripture. We go to him. The rest of what they did was to determine, as we read here, who it was that was to take the place of Judas, and it ended up being Matthias. Uh, Just because we didn't hear about Matthias, by the way, after um, this, because we don't, we don't hear about Matthias after this, uh, doesn't mean that he wasn't used in great ways to further the gospel. Just means we didn't hear about him. We didn't hear about many people during this time that I'm sure were doing the work of of the the ministry, uh, furthering the gospel. We don't hear much about many of the other apostles as well. Only about a few. What happened here was proof of the Holy Spirit and his work in giving Peter understanding and boldness and acting on the understanding he had gained regarding the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. James 1, 5, and 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And so we know if if we lack wisdom, let's come to the Lord and ask him. He desires to give it to us, and he he doesn't give us a hard time for asking, and he gives to us liberally. Whatever you need, I'm going to give to you. He gives it to you. Apply that wisdom. Apply that knowledge, and and, and as you apply that knowledge with great understanding, it becomes wisdom, and it glorifies the Lord. When God gives you understanding of his word, and you know how to apply it to circumstances and situations, there is a confidence that no one can touch. You know, you're just standing in the truth. I understand it to be this, and I stand there. I'm im, immovable. Come what may, I, I just, I won't move because I know this is truth. This is it right here. But a person who doubts is unstable, as it says here, and driven by their doubts. Well, I thought I knew, but maybe I don't. I'll decide, maybe I won't. I'll commit, maybe I won't. You know, and it's like that. In and out, in and out, consistent, inconsistent, given to, not given to. And it's like that because there's doubts, unstable. Someone who is unstable is not firmly grounded in the truth of God's word. They don't, they lack understanding. And so we don't want to be like that. We don't. We want to be firmly planted on the truth of God's word and have confidence. This is the truth of God's word and I stand on it. And I know I'm standing on solid ground. I know that for a fact. Peter did. He stood up and he said these things with great confidence. And so in Peter, in and through him, we see proof of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I know that we haven't come to the day of Pentecost. That's next. Next week, we'll talk about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and disciples. But we know by Scripture that the Holy Spirit leads us in all truth and does the work of giving us understanding of God's word. And that's why we know we can say that what Peter did here was evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. The question is is there proof of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? And that's really what we need to come down to. It comes by way of godly wisdom, biblical wisdom, confidently applying the Word of God to our lives to the glory of God. It's, just, it's a trust, it's a surrender, it, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's a knowledge, a knowing, an understanding, applying. And then you can look back and see the faithfulness of God and how true His word truly is in your life. So we saw three things. <clears throat> we could go into other details, but I wanted to give you the, the overall um, hopefully the, the, the overall benefits that you see from the promises of God, the power of God, the, the promises of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit, and then also the proof of the Holy Spirit, so that we ourselves could bring it to a place in our lives to where we can apply it. And, um, and we would not only glorify the Lord, but we would be better off for it. Now, the Holy Spirit, in closing, I want to say the Holy Spirit is worth waiting for. He's worth waiting for. The Holy Spirit is given and must be received. It's not something we earn, something we can summon. It's, can be cre- he can not be created And he is used, not to be used as we please, but as the Lord pleases. He is sent to be received for the purpose of being witnesses of Jesus Christ, both near and far. Anywhere and everywhere. In how we live and interpret the world around us according to the word of God. So it's worth waiting for the Holy Spirit. The question for us is, are we Christ's witnesses in word and deed? Both in our homes, and outside our homes, and everywhere we're sent. So the promise of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the proof of the Holy Spirit. And uh, next week we'll see just a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. But I pray that you would be encouraged by the promises of God in how it is that the Holy Spirit works in our lives as we go into this wonderful book of seeing the birth of the church in how it is that the Holy Spirit worked in and through the lives of all those that were Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, his disciples, and the apostles. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And, and Lord, uh, this uh, the start of the study of the book of Acts, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that your, that your Spirit would come upon us and empower us to do the work of the ministry, that we would be empowered to be witnesses of Jesus Christ uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that, that we would uh, take the good news of Jesus Christ and speak truth with boldness, great confidence, and in love, that others may come also to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and be built up by the truth that we find in your word. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you. to you. We thank you for the love that you have first demonstrated and shown us. And I pray, Lord, that we would respond by, number one, giving our lives to you, surrendering our lives to you, and knowing eternal life in Jesus Christ and by his sacrifice. And secondly, Lord, by living our lives in such a way that, um, that we glorify you, and that we are truly serving as representatives of Jesus Christ. So, Father, be with us. Send your spirit. Do a mighty work. We're devoted and committed to you. In Jesus' name we pray.